The all-new OTB Sports app. It's all videos, sports news, live scores, interviews, podcasts, all waiting for you. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Have you seen anything like that? I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. How are we going to count all the shots? I, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, would. That's, a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, of course, you want to play at the weekend. Hi folks, good to have you with us. I will kick off with a quote from the LA County Sheriff, no less, who said, it's nothing short of a miracle that Wood survived. He also said, we've seen accidents with far less obvious damage that are fatalities. This could have been a whole lot grimmer. Nathan Murphy, hello. I think, Joe, you're the LA County Sheriff, but on this podcast, I am Deputy Carlos Gonzalez. Well, indeed. Star of the show. <laughs> Fionn Davenport, hello. Hey, Joe. And from Spawell, Peter Laurie, hello. Hey, Joe. A few points of business. Patreon subscribers, thank you very much. It is uh, where you'll find the Podrick Harrington interview, by the way. I forgot uh, to mention that last week. Some of you were asking. So Podrick Harrington is waiting on the uh, Patreon page. Uh, March 11th is coming into view. Thank you to the many who have already signed up. 3 99 plus VAT per month. Guaranteed Thursday podcasts earlier on major weeks. Monday reviews of majors. Watch-along parties of majors. Uh, some standalone big-name interviews hopefully coming your way where working on that as we speak. Anyone you fancy, let us know beyond uh, the obvious would be uh, great. If this is all news to you and you're like, what the hell are you all talking about? Then go to otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly or to patreon.com and just search for golf weekly there. We are on the move. Uh, the boy, Troy, got to mention him. Troy Merritt, a two-time PGA Tour winner, is now an official friend of the pod. Uh, the way this all came about, we didn't seek out this necessarily. I mean, some people are like, Troy Merritt, that's a bit random. Uh, sponsor was in touch and said, look, you want to link up and chat to Troy? And we said, yeah, sounds like a good idea, you know, get an inside the uh, PGA Tour ropes type vibe. So, look, we're giving, we're, we're anointing him with cult hero status already. We want his heart warmed as uh, tweets from Irish listeners rain in, losing their minds if he finishes top 10. Uh, he is our boy Troy, hashtag our boy Troy, I think. Uh, so uh, I wasn't in on the conversation you guys had with him during the week. I must listen back. Oh, to got awkward. Guy. Got awkward, Joe. Peter, uh-huh. you know his obsession with private jets? Yeah. Ugh. Private jet this, private uh, jet that. Apparently he was on a private jet with Potter Carrington once. I'm not sure if you heard this story. No. So he started rambling on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Um, lovely guy. Gave us um, good insight into Riviera where he played. Uh, unfortunately, missed the cut, but <laughs> good insight into how well you can feel you play in the PGA Tour and still not make the cut. Mm. Uh, was brilliant and that sort of uh, insider PGA Tour life of private jets he had the worst sponsorship deal in history whereby a private jet company sponsored him for a year and he got was it two hours two of flying hours. time <laughs> two yeah. hours of flying time yeah, yeah. Peter um, don't ruin this for us with Troy okay just be no, polite uh, be sound we kind of want to keep a relationship going with him I just wonder is he here to replace me that's all no. I want to know well, let's, see, let's uh, see how it goes I mean give yeah. him a chance he yeah. It, it, it's always interesting, the dynamics between people. So, you know, he's meeting, you know, virtually, he's meeting three brand new faces for the first time. 
And so, you know, in order for that on-air relationship to develop, it takes, obviously it takes a bit of time, but after like whatever it was, 40 minutes of a chat, I was really impressed by how relaxed he got in terms of, you know, he was just chatting away and answering questions and, but also kind of relaying little anecdotes and it kind of augurs well, because once he gets to know us and we get to know him better, I think he's going to be really, really good. Just like a kind of a, you know, that kind of informative, relaxed, easygoing member of the group. So that's, that's the takeaway for me. I was like, he hasn't met Joe yet, which is a bit of a problem. I'll open him up. that, that could be a real Joe will ask him the searing, penetrating question, mm. you know. No, Troy, dig deeper. Prepare dig to cry, deeper. Troy. What was it? We, uh, as, Paul Kimmage, as Paul Kimmage says, that we, you know, we looked at the front garden, which he was happy to reveal. But, Joe, you're going to go and investigate the back garden. You're going to go in. few <laughs> <laughs> skeletons in that back garden, Troy. Uh, I'm coming for them. Uh, now, you'll find an uh, interesting guy, interesting guy who seems, doesn't do things simply because it's the norm on the tour, you know, lives in freezing cold Idaho. Uh, doesn't go in for psychology or mind coaches or any of that kind of thing. Uh, interesting guy. Really, really interesting. How amazing will it be if Troy wins this year on our oh, watch? Oh, I have had, been up to. That's the fairy tale story. I've had text messages from people over the last few days. Uh, I think it only went up yesterday, uh, since yesterday, uh, who all uh, really liked Troy and were saying they'd heard bits about him, but they're not going to be really taking an interest. So I'm going to back him every week. I'm like, and the great thing is because the fields are so stacked, mm-hmm. Troy is always a good price. Well, as well. And I, look, I've got a lot of plans for Troy. Uh, chief amongst them is we need to develop a relationship with him quickly, whereby when he holds the winning put on the PGA Tour, which he damn well will this year, mm. there's a signal he needs to give us. There's a, there's a gesture. I mean, maybe it's the, uh, the Mo, but something very Golf Weekly-esque. A oh, no, yeah, well, a Golf Weekly. I was thinking what he could do is when he's doing the interview afterwards and just saying, Troy, incredible. Yeah. You know, you've just won at Bay Hill or you've just won a huge event and you've got 500 FedEx points. He'll say, I don't care about the FedEx points. This is for my Golf Weekly homies. That's all that matters to me. This is this is for FOTP, yo, friend of the pod. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, look, as opposed we'll, to what actually happened, is he win a tournament and we never hear from him again? Yeah, yeah. he's totally no longer available. I don't have to do this anymore. Said my sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Christ, Nathan. You're going to get those emails like you've been getting from some press officer <laughs> saying we don't give you emails, we don't give you <laughs> yeah. interviews. Well, what was that about? Who was that? Nathan, that was I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not revealing. Uh, you know, it wasn't say. from. Well, I've. Uh, no, I just don't think it's fair on the person who sent it because it wasn't somebody who speaks English. So they had obviously Google Translate, Uh, but it was incredible um, the response I got because I'd say within an hour again, I had about 20 messages from journalists and press officers all wondering who the hell it was. Mm. Um, This was an email where rejecting an interview request from Nathan saying they couldn't, they wouldn't be doing it because he was only a minor player. So what, what were they trying to say? I, I I don't know. I think maybe we weren't a rights holder or something along those uh, lines. Or you need you need to put that sentence into Google Translate and switch it back to the original language and see what comes up. Because I had spoke to other people involved in the organization who put me in touch with the final press officer, who were all incredibly friendly and encouraging. Uh, but uh, to wake up to this on a Monday morning was uh, quite disheartening. But yeah, period of golf golf you. managers would never be like that. They are always polite. Mm. So uh, listen, that's where we are. Again, join us on Patreon. March the 11th is when this all kicks off officially. And sincerest thanks to those of you who've already made the switch. It is much appreciated. So Tuesday, Tiger Woods. 
I mean, lucky to be alive. Isn't that, isn't that the context we have to jump off on here? We'll get on to what it means for his golf career very quickly. And I suspect nothing good. But lucky to be alive is very genuinely the message coming from all concerned. It's hard to think, Finn. Could you just imagine the worst that happened? It would have been oh, look. just yeah. horrific. And it seems it, like it could have so easily happened. Look, I mean, it's not that long ago that Kobe Bryant was killed in a crash. And uh, it would have been as tragic. I mean, look, it's, he, he's one of the world's biggest sports stars. So inevitably it comes loaded with added tragedy, like anything bad happens. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have been like the one thing I thought, and, and obviously, look, we're all thrilled and happy that he survived. But my first thought, and perhaps a little darkly, was is that, Jesus, what's golf? How, like, what's golf going to be like mm. if the worst had happened? Like, like are they doing a suspend tournament? I mean, th- like, we're talking about... We're talking about the single most important individual in the game of golf for the last 40 years, mm. without exception. That's who we're talking about. And, um, and it gives you pause to think about, like, not just his influence on the game, but the effect and import of his presence, you know? And so, like, perhaps, as I said, a little darkly, you know, you're kind of thinking, Jesus, like, this would have been, yeah, this is like, this is, this is an incident like no other, certainly within the context of golf. Yeah. I was watching, you know, so you watch the coverage that evening of CNN or American networks and uh, reporters are trying to establish the significance of Woods and there's, you know, they're drawing parallels with Michael Jordan and Tom Brady were the two I kept hearing on uh, various channels. I was kind of thinking he's so much bigger to golf than any of those guys. I mean, the next in line to Jordan or the next in line to Brady is so much closer to those two than whoever's next in line in golf. I mean, Woods is just like, he is the sport. Um, He's the golf, you know, most people in the street can name one golfer. That's it. uh, Really. And it's, it's, it's Tiger. I had this uh, not ideal experience of, uh, and I wouldn't listen back to the last uh, 15 minutes of the news round on uh, Tuesday on off the ball because my phone was beeping and you guys were texting at Woods in a car crash. And so, just on Twitter, frantically trying to see what was going on whilst uh, pretending to listen to Richie McCormack, to be frank about it, you know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, interesting. And um, this, this weird thing of like, initially thinking, well, he's so famous, even if it's a very, very minor crash, it's going to be big news, you know? So Tiger Woods, uh, a dense car is going to be big news in, in rolling news cycle. And so I thought, well, it's probably not that bad. And then I saw the picture, which was looking down on the vehicle from overhead. And it looked like he had gone off a cliff. Like it looked like he was in mm, some ravine a, yeah, or something. Mm, and yeah. that was when I thought that looked like that looks like it's gone off a height. And then thankfully, you know, 10 minutes later, you see the bigger screen and you realize it's just the side of the road. But the car is still in a terrible place. And then there's the uh, relief to hear, well, it's not critical. It doesn't seem like his life is in danger. And that's followed then, Nathan, by the realization that actually he's still in a really bad way and this is incredibly serious. So I, I, I was flitting between not that bad to, oh my God, this is, this is potentially death to thank God it's not dead. This is, this is going to be okay to, well, it's really serious for his golf career. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's career ending really is, is the general sense out there. I think you're right. I think by the time the first reports came in, it was 
maybe three, four hours after the accident had happened. So thankfully, quite quickly, it was clear that he was alive and it wasn't life threatening, but also quite quickly that serious leg injuries and that this wasn't just a, a rear ending and something that you know, might keep him out for a couple of months. And you're right, it was sort of state of shock for a couple of hours as you're looking at the footage and just the relief, I guess, for his family that mm. it wasn't far more serious because there is a detachment from celebrities that you are scrolling through it and your heart rate is rising in a way it shouldn't because you want more information. And it's hard to relate to, well, what if the worst had happened there is the golfing side of it and there is no sport that is defined by one figure as golf is with tiger woods if you were to go on family fortunes and ask 100 people name one golfer on the street tiger is probably 98 of them it's the first name that comes to mind for practically everybody and unfortunately that is the way with celebrity that you do think about the career the tributes the his impact on your life and the game and forget about the children at home who are unfortunately watching this in a similar way. So they're getting the call, I'm sure, from Mark Steinberg and his people. But your natural reaction is to try and find out what happens. And from what I understand, because of COVID, you can't take visitors in the hospital at the moment. So they're watching from afar, probably at home in Florida, and having real fears about what is going to happen and what his life is going to be like. And haven't seen him come back. And you know, he's spoken before about 2016 and not been able to get off the couch and not been able to play with his children and to not just come back from that to obviously win the major again and seem to have this just a relationship with his children that has changed people's view on Tiger. Hmm. I think watching Tiger with his son, Charlie, over the last month sort of just re-emphasized to people that actually this isn't the Tiger that we thought we once knew, that this is somebody who has a far more wholesome life, a more well-rounded life. And even watching back that footage, I watched it again yesterday of that three minutes of no commentary from when Tiger holds the putt that his family are there every step of the way you got in that, in that three minutes, if you want to know what Tiger Woods is all about, you get it because it's his family who are there alongside him. who embraces first when he wins the masters, when he holds that putt, but you also get a sense of what he means to everybody else and the noise and these waves of noise as he goes through the crowd. You feel what Tiger Woods means to the sporting world as well, because for all his flaws and, with the documentary probably gone through them over the last few weeks, there are very few sports people. And you spoke about the ones who are on that list who have brought so much joy and happiness to people week after week, year after year than Tiger Woods. And it is a real shame. And there's the bigger issue, which I'm sure we're going to get onto about golf, about being defined from if this is the end, because golf is better than any sport for letting you hang around. He can play. He may not have been competing, but he would have been at the Masters for another 15 years. He would be at the Open playing for another 15 years. He'd still be the biggest star at that if that's not happening. And I do feel it's probably too soon to say it's definitely not going to happen. But you know, golf has a big situation to deal with. But right now, he has a big situation to deal with himself because you say the the injuries are extremely serious in terms of the broken legs he will recover from. But there seems to be not a huge amount of clarity about the ankle damage and the tissue damage. And from what you hear, there's a lot of concern amongst that inner circle as to what this is going to mean long-term for him. So I don't know how much information we get. He's obviously an incredibly private person. We've got a lot so far. We seem to know absolutely everything that happened from the press conferences, but there's so many strands to this. There's the immediate impact for family, for golf. And then there's the longer term as to what his future holds within the game. 
the um, I, I had a look and there's two things. So the New York Times, Gina Collata in the New York Times spoke to a lot of orthopedic surgeons and just based on the information that they would have received. And as Nathan says, that there is a lot of information about the specifics of the injuries to his leg. And so this guy, Dr. R. Malcolm Smith, who's the chief of orthopedic trauma at UMass Memorial Medical Center in Worcester, Massachusetts. So, I mean, he makes the point, this happens every day with car crashes in the country with that immense force that's transmitted to the driver's right leg and foot because from a front end collision, but he goes, such lower leg fractures on occasion bring massive disability and other grave consequences. A very rough estimate is that there is a 70% chance of it healing completely, um, which obviously doesn't fill you with a huge amount of hope. And then Bill Mallon, or William Mallon, who was a former pro golfer, play, finished 53rd in the US Open in 1977, but is now an orthopedic surgeon and the um, associate consulting professor of orthopedics at Duke University Medical Center, which is a very reputable medical center in the US. So he put out a big Twitter thread and just tried to separate the wheat from the chaff about like speculation and information. And I won't read them all, but um, he just said, uh, talks about the rod that was placed into his tibia for the fracture. And this is what we usually call in orthopedics an IM nail or an intramedullary nail. And it runs down the middle of the tibia. Uh, it also talked about the fracture, which is said to be comminuted, which is a fracture classification. So usually you have a break that's in two parts, whereas a comminuted fracture is in multiple parts. But he goes, it could be three parts, could be a hundred. You don't know. Um, one of the tibia fractures was an open fracture. So there's an increased risk of infection with that and placing the nail. Um, Triger also had fractures in the ankle and foot treated with screws and pins. These could be more concerning than the tibia fractures, especially if the ankle fractures are directly involving the ankle joint. Um, if they do involve the intra-articular portion of the ankle joint, this could lead to arthritis down the road in the ankle joint and make walking and playing golf more difficult. Um, so just on the, I mean, because obviously like you can just have a look and the internet allows you to read a thousand and one different opinions about what things are, but just like two orthopedic surgeons who clearly know what they're talking about, despite Mark Steinberg, who, you know, and, and it's perfectly within their prerogative, isn't it? To be as cautious or as limited in the dispensing of information as they want. Um, but just it, the immediate reaction is this does not augur well at all. And uh, not, 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 obviously it's not life-threatening, but in terms of like just the, get, to get back up walking again, never mind playing golf. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, I mean, for his back to have come through that kind of uh, incident, you know, rolling vehicle, presumably a thundering halt at some stage mm. would be an incredible result. And back pain oh, yeah. doesn't always manifest itself immediately. And it wouldn't have been the primary concern, you know, and he's probably been in painkillers ever since. So, I mean, to know to what extent there's pain there might be difficult. So for somebody who's just had his fifth back surgery to come through an incident like that without any further damage would be a major result. Hopefully that has happened. So I agree, it doesn't augur well at all. As for the accident itself, so the LAPD, I mean, very forthcoming. If I was in an accident, I'd be like, lads, can you give, oh, me, can you give Mark me a I was watching that press conference on uh, Tuesday night thinking this is Mark Steinberg's worst nightmare. There's such yeah. a different attitude to privacy in the States. I mean, it's so jarring. 
But uh, anyway, uh, Alex uh, Villanueva, who's now household name in the golfing uh, Twitter world, uh, said that the Woods was traveling at a relatively greater speed than normal. He was descending down a hill. Uh, he noted that the area has a high frequency of accidents. I mean, so many people have said this is just like a, a serious black spot, which, which begs the bloody question. Why not do something about it? But anyway, uh, we don't contemplate any charges whatsoever in this crash. Uh, this remains an accident and an accident is not a crime. They do happen, unfortunately. Mm. And it was also said in that press conference that Woods showed no evidence of impairment. And that obviously, look, uh, Twitter and social media runs wild with theories. There was obviously the DUI four years ago. He's obviously just had back surgery in the last month. So it's very easy to put two and two together and get five here. The reality is the investigation here could take a number of weeks. There were no skid marks, it seems. This was 7 a.m. in the morning. It was a clear day. Thankfully, when he veered into the wrong lane, there was no oncoming traffic. But as to how it happened or why it happened, uh, we don't know. And that's uh, the reality of where we are there. But no evidence of impairment and certainly no charges being brought against uh, Woods, which I'm sure is a big relief to him. The other side is the mental side for Tiger. And maybe this is getting too quickly into the what next for golf as to what in his mind will be success over the coming years because it's all very easy for us to say if Tiger gets back on the tee, what, like, what a roar he's going to get, what an achievement it will be. But that's never been Tiger Woods. Like, a Tiger, you can go and use your invitations on the PGA Tour and be out there and be around, but you know, you're back. The injuries you've sustained mean you'll never have the power to compete for tournaments again. You know, how, does he, how does he deal with that realisation if it is the end, if there is, and maybe that just doesn't enter his thinking. Maybe he is not built that way that while the rest of us are writing him off, that he is somehow seeing, well, a year's time, fine. I'll just work my ass off for the next year. And if that means I'm missing next year's masters and I'm coming back and I'm not competing straight away, but in two years time, I can give myself a chance of winning the tournament. Fine. But like how he gets his head around the fact that this could be the end and it's the biggest mountain he's ever had to climb, even with, being on a couch, not being able to get off it with his back injuries four years ago, that it may be even far more serious than that. I just wonder how at 45, he gets his head around the fact that the end may be this sudden thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it seemed a couple of years ago, he had got his head around the fact that it was over. You know, mm. you just, I, I, you just accept well, it. You well, just deal with it because there's nothing else to accept. Had he really got his head around it, Joe, you know, he, 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 he probably came out and said, you know, this is probably the last time, but, you know, we've all said that about different things. You know, this is our last time, but secretly at the back of our heads that, you know, we really want to achieve something. Mm. But I would agree with Nathan, you know, golf has defined Tiger Woods or Tiger Woods has defined golf, whatever way you want to call it. Well, you both know, are it, true, aren't they? <laughs> both are true. Yeah. You know, and this has been his thing since he was whatever, two, three years of age as his father, you know, hit balls or watched his father hit balls in his in his garage on his, a, um, you know, his child's chair. So sitting in the hospital right now, like what goes through his head, you know, while looking down at his legs thinking, you know, how am I going to, what, what his life is going to be like? And, and, and you look back at some of the, you know, the movies that we've all watched with, you know, army guys coming back from war and, uh, and their legs shot off or blown up or whatever. And they think to themselves, you know, how do I survive this? You know, what's next? You know, and it must be terribly difficult to be in a, 
in that situation, not knowing what's coming next. At least with the back surgery, you have some idea because there are so many experts out there that can give you advice. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a, I wouldn't say standard procedure to it, but there's far more a recovery rate from a back surgery than is what's facing him right now. I'd, I would, I, by the way, I'm basing the, he's had to deal with the end before, maybe more than anything on the champions dinner where he did tell people there, you know, his, his colleagues of a certain level, fellow masters winners, I'm pretty much done. This fusion is about quality of life, you know, and that was his feeling. I mean, I'd say where he is now, I mean, you just have so much sympathy for him. I'd say he's in a lot of pain. I'd say he's still in shock. I'd say he's worried about how his family are feeling. I would think the questions he is asking the doctor amount primarily to quality of life. Like, can I walk again? Can I walk again without pain? Am I going to have arthritis? Am I like, am I going to be limping around? Like you think Woods has spent so much of the last 10 years and beyond in physical pain constantly, you know, one way or another. And then I would think there's some thoughts of golf, but I wouldn't even say he's there yet. You know, I would think there's, there's probably just a degree of shock Horrible, horrible shock. I saw Nota Begay interviewed on the Golf Channel by Steve Sands and he was ashen-faced, mm-hmm. you know, and he was being asked by Sands about the communication within the inner circle. You know, you're in the inner circle, what's being said? And he was saying, look, we were dealing with some really bad possibilities. That was, that was he was vague. And I, I would think they were beyond just death. You know, he was, there were some really bad possibilities and thankfully they haven't happened. And he was saying golf is not being talked about at the moment. This is not where the inner circle are and i would think you know i whew, it's 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 just so dreadful i mean thankfully he's okay but this is um he's just facing a long road back to normality let alone being able to drive the ball 300 yards consistently you know that just i wouldn't think those conversations are possible right now like what answers can the doctors give him mm. no but conversely you know and look we're not inside tiger circle 99% of us aren't um, 99.9% of us aren't. So golf is talking about Tiger Woods, though, you know, and truth be told is that golf has been preparing for a post-Tiger world for the last few years, and it's been preparing badly for it. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know how you prepare for it, but actually just to, speaking of that, I didn't think his interview with the Genesis with Jim Nance was promising. You know, we had read that the procedure uh, was more serious than the camp had let on you know the back procedure and due another mri and it was i mean to say he was non-committal to the masters an understatement i interpreted that as i'm not going to be at the masters no it was incredibly worrying i think and we were uh discussing that on on sunday night that the second you watched him and his just general demeanor there were a lot of concerns there was no great enthusiasm to him it quite often when he goes into the commentary box he's uh it's brilliant, and you're thinking, God, it's a shame he'll never need to do this <laughs> because you would sit and listen to him all night. But there was no positivity at all. There was no yeah. committing. It was a man who probably didn't even want to be there, but had to turn up to present the trophy. And in terms of his general health at that stage, and we're talking about um, a back uh, procedure that at the time we were told he was up and walking within sort of 24 or 48 hours, and master shouldn't be any sort of an issue at all. That wasn't promising. So this on top of that hmm. yeah it's it's just not pretty no it's not and you know it's it's oh tiger just didn't look himself like the one thing that we've over the last 20 plus years anytime tiger appears in front of the media 
he's got that kind of, you know, that celebrity smile, you know, he's so composed. He controls his message really, really well. He doesn't tell you anything, but when he, in telling you nothing, he, he says it with the air of super confidence, you know, and just like, this is how it is, you know, whereas at the weekend, he didn't look anything like that. He looked, as, as Nathan said, he looked like he didn't want to be there and he looked, mm. he looked distracted Look, whatever you want to look, you can. We're thousands of miles away. I'm not going to say. Yeah, and I think the conversation we're having about Tiger on Sunday night is different in the wake of yes. this because we just don't know what happened on Tuesday. Tuesday, and I know there's been any amount of speculation, Ugh. but the and I can't. There's no reason why, considering how open they seem to have been that the uh, LA chiefs of police wouldn't be telling us if there was an issue, but they said there was no sign of impairment. Now that's yeah. not to say like they said there was speeding. Um, there's any amount of speculation out there, but I think we probably just need to hold tight because uh, mm. that will it, come out in the wash. I'd expect. But it is Guys, worth. Sorry, Peter. No, I was just about to say, if you look at say um, tiger on Sunday, when he was interviewed, and then look at the social media stuff on Monday mm. when he was out. He looked like a totally different person. Yeah, he looked great on Monday, yeah. He looked great on Monday. And Eric, did he not have his clubs with him on Monday? He wasn't playing. He no, did he some did some putts. He hit yeah, some putts, did... but it was generally just a photo shoot. Yeah, yeah he was right. uh, filming with various celebrities for his golf TV project. And I think Golf Digest had a hand in it as well. He, he definitely was not playing. Like he did say with Nance on Sunday... Again, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't, didn't bode well either that, you know, because of his back, he does a lot of practice putting with his wedges, you know, hits the ball halfway up on the equator. So he had lengthened his putter to the same height as his sand wedge. And that was, you know, better, I think is what he said, but he certainly was not playing golf. But he definitely looked like a different person in, yeah. in the social media than mm. he did on, on, on Sunday. Yeah. talking to Nance I think I look there's a I think we are in danger of overstepping a line and reading too much into it and like there's a clear you know there's an inference that we don't want to make because we're not equipped to make it so you know maybe I, he was just mm. bored with talking to Jim Nance possibly you hey know? you leave the greatest <laughs> NFL commentator alone mm. um no but I look the, the more 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 pertinent I mean look you can say, oh, look, I hope his family, you know, you're thinking about his family. It's like, sure, all these things, let's just take all these things for granted. But I, I, like for our perspective, what's most is like it's Tiger Woods's relationship and, oh, and, and the way he dominates golf. And as I said, golf has to, golf now as it has done, but it has to really just kind of take into account the fact that Tiger Woods is not going to be the major figure in golf that he has been. What, 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 I just want to, what do you want golf to do about this? Anyway. The, no, no, no. My point is, is that the point is it, it's, I'm not criticizing golf. Right, I'm okay. saying is that what it is, it's illustrates, it illustrates that golf is ill-prepared for a post Tiger Woods golfing landscape in as much as if it has ambitions to kind of have a superstar that transcends its own sport. It just, yeah. They're like and they and you look and they try. But you're you're not saying you're not you're you're not saying ill prepared because the uh, inference there in, in, the inference there is that golf could somehow be prepared. Ah, no 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 ill prepared okay. in that like it has no other choice. Tiger Tiger's a cyclone in Kansas. Tiger is is the is the most spectacular thing to happen to the game since Arnold Palmer and the advent of color television. You know sure. it's. Okay. 
Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods arrives, hello world. And all of a sudden you have a young African-American athlete who hits the ball a prodigious distance, has a superstar smile. And as Earl Woods promised all those years before is going to change this game forever. And that's exactly what he's done. He, you mentioned earlier on, is this like Michael Jordan made a lot of, paradoxically, Michael Jordan made a lot of money for other NBA stars, but didn't make as much money for himself as you know the but so perhaps there is a parallel there but there is no other sports star not tom brady not not anyone who raised the boats who raised the tide for every other one of his peers the way tiger woods did tiger woods has made all of them multi multi millionaires and 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 it's not just about money but just that sense of like prize money got bigger tv attendances got bigger it just transformed the game and the PGA has had a very unhealthy tiger addiction for the last 20 years. But the problem is, is what else was it going to do? Nothing. And now it has to deal because of life, because of age, because of time and because of circumstance. It has to deal with a world in which Tiger Woods is no longer, as the phrase goes, moving the dial. And, yeah. and I think that that's the key issue. Uh, yeah. There's nothing they can do. Is the there only is thing they can I, do. I think they are going to spend billions of dollars doing everything you're talking about, Fiona, of trying to not create another Tiger Woods, but trying to take advantage of the scenarios the Tiger Woods has created. And it will fall flat because you can't just magic up a superstar. And the way golf is set up as a sport means you can't just magic up a superstar because in other sports, particularly in team sports, every team has its own star. And then as that team becomes successful, they become the sort of star around the sport. And that means, that means consistently that there is going to be... So now we're talking about Mbappe and Haaland after Messi and Ronaldo, and there'll be another player coming through. And because of the way soccer is set up, you can guarantee that they're going to be successful because they'll be in the best teams. You know, Rui McIlroy is the best we've had since Tiger Woods, and he's won four majors. So I, I, I don't see... And maybe they don't need it because golf is at such a high level because of what Tiger Woods has done. I would say if I'm sitting in those PGA Tour meetings, I'm saying if we can sort of plateau where we are mm. for the next five, six years in terms of sponsorship and revenue and OTV figures are an issue, we're doing just fine. Yeah. But, but that's very ambitious and optimistic. Whereas, like, I mean, I know I kind of, I, every week I come with the TV viewing figures and, you know, they really are just indicating one thing, which is a downward trend. And um, like the thing is, is that sponsorship is tied to TV numbers and, you know, like how long will that last? I mean, I'm, I'm know, not saying that this, sorry, Peter. No, golf, you're looking at us as a, from a PGA tour and TVs and sponsorship point of view. But sure. I, I, I'll give you a thing. Yesterday, yesterday I sat down um, thinking that golf will open back up here in, in April and ordering stock for the shop, right? Um, it's virtually impossible to get starter sets or starter clubs into the shop because they have all been sold out. They've all been bought up already. So sure. what, I'm, what I'm saying to you and meaning by this is golf participation has grown dramatically in, in people who are playing golf because of the likes of Tiger Woods and, and whoever else. But you might see a drop, as you say, in uh, for the PGA Tour, what can they do? But golf in general is in a very, very healthy position. 
in the participation. And can the I, more I, people, the more people who participate, the more chance of us seeing another Tiger Woods. Uh, Peter, I'm going to disagree with you there. I have to say that even in the era of Tiger Woods, golf participation dropped off 25%. Like the number of young people taking up, we've covered it on the pod. It's the game is too long. It costs too much money. It's there's too many other distractions. Like despite the fact that Tiger Woods has been like transformative for golf, that the number of young people taking up golf has not grown in the last two decades. Well, it's starting to grow again. Well, no, no. I, and I'm not disputing that, like, and I know that, like, for instance, because of lockdown, like, like try buy a golf trolley. <laughs> like, you can't. you can't get one. You can't get one anywhere. Yeah, I, I think as well on participation, let's see where we are in three years' time because a lot of people have had a lot of time in their hands. But now, uh, as we're hearing anecdotally, when clubs are having to go back and looking for their membership fees, when this recession fully kicks in, over the next two, three years, are people going to be able to afford to play golf still? And is golf preparing for that? Do we have enough public courses where it's actually cheap and accessible for people to get out and play if they uh, if they do lose their job? I'm not quite sure. So I think there's been a bounce definitely over the last year yeah, in terms sure. of participation. I get, Like yourself, I would definitely question whether that'll continue if we're heading into what everyone expects is going to be a pretty seismic recession. Mm. One last point in Tiger, and then we've got to move on because there's actually there's a lot going on. There's a very good besides. tournament happened. Yeah, <laughs> sporting intelligence, and please don't ask me how they've done this or what the metric is, but it's just bloody interesting anyway. And you reminded me of it, Fiona, by talking about the money situation. Uh, they have looked at the ten biggest beneficiaries of the Tiger effect in PGA Tour earnings. So they have listed out who earned what and how much of that was due to Tiger. Now again. Don't ask me how they've done it, but okay. they've done it. So Vijay Singh is owes Tiger the most. Vijay Singh earned 70 million on the PGA Tour. 36 million of that was due to the Tiger effect. Phil Mickelson earned 55.8 million. 29 million of that was due to Tiger. Jim Furyk, 43.7 million. 22.7 million of that was due to Tiger. All the way down to at number 10, Sergio Garcia has earned 29.3 million of which they estimate, using their metric, that 15.2 million of it was uh, due to Tiger. In effect, about half. He's basically doubled what everybody made. So like when Phil Mickelson says, I love Tiger, he made me richer. <laughs> he made That's Tiger 29.063 million richer, plus all the endorsements on top of that. So that was just kind of an interesting thing on uh, sporting intelligence. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's... there's never been a player like him. I, Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer is the only, not Jack Nicholas. Arnold Palmer is the single individual who can be compared to Tiger Woods in his transformative effect on earnings. Now, obviously, IMG created the big three, so Nicholas Player. But Palmer was the one. Palmer was the charisma. Palmer was the one that fans engage with the best at the time. Yeah, um, I, I, I do think, though, the one thing with Palmer, and I don't doubt the man's magnetism. My God, you look at a photo mm. of him now, it's timeless, wonderful. That was also television. Like sure. someone would have been the hero, whoever it was. Now, look, Palmer is, was perfect. He was perfect. But like a completely revolutionary technology happened around the same time as Palmer. So you, that has to be mentioned too. Tiger was just like analog TV. It was all, nothing changed. I mean, nothing changed. And he just blew the whole thing up. Yeah, I mean, anyway. it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. Will we move on? We should. Okay. Tony Fina, discuss. <laughs> 
Peter. Ah, okay. How much so money unfair. has Tony Fina so made? Eighteen of, million. Uh, Tiger Woods. <laughs> Eighteen million. Tony Fina has made. This is before finishing second in the playoff at Genesis. Um, so not poor Tony Fina, very rich yeah. Tony Fina. Um, I'm, I'm joking with that question, by the way. I'm I know you are. I'd be interested to see what Peter thinks. Is like you shoot a 64 on the last day. Um, Max Homa misses a three footer. Like, oh man, like, you know, what else do you need to do? You know, I mean, in fairness, the only, and it's not a criticism, the only comment, because Nathan and I, we, we had that exchange on Sunday night, didn't we? Is that his approach on 18 was very poor. He should have, like, should have, could have, didn't. But perhaps had he given himself a birdie chance, but, you know, like giving yourself a birdie chance and making the birdie, Max Homa hit it three feet on 18 and didn't make the putt. But other than that, like he played brilliantly, he played impeccably, like winning is hard. That is the thing, isn't it, guys? Winning is definitely hard, um, especially on the PGA Tour and especially with so many good players. Especially if you're talking uh, now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Sunday at three o'clock in the day, I think it was about half three, a cousin of mine texted me, normally does, who are you betting on the Masters or who are you betting this on Sunday night? He said, Max Homer looks like a good bet. I said, what about Tony Finu? 23 to 1. I said, worth, he's worth a few quid. He'll shoot a score, and it's the only chance he has to win, you know, by shooting a score and not sort of, you know, winning nearly by default. So when I saw that he shot, or when I was watching, I watched every shot on Sunday, and I was shouting at the TV because he was actually holding a few putts. He was hitting a few good shots. But the putt that he hit in the first playoff hole, it was just so disappointing. It's, you know, it's your first chance, you know, to prove a point that you can win a tournament. And he, hit, he loses it short right. It was just... And what does that tell you? What does short right tell you? He, he moved his head. He's nervous. He's, you know, everything about it. He, he just didn't commit to it. It was just poor. Um, and that's that's Tony's problem. It's when when the when the chips are down, he he just doesn't seem to be able to get it over the line. Yeah, I think which there is, was. Sorry, go on, Peter. No, I was just about to say, which is so disappointing. You know. Yeah, it, they did seem to get a little bit carried away on eighteen as to how close he was to victory, which probably didn't help him in the resulting. I don't want to say it was criticism afterwards because. Max Homa had just birdied 17 and all he needed was a par to get to the playoff in 18, where it felt as though it was Finau's time has finally come. He has won this tournament where it was far from us. And it is almost impossible to criticize someone who's just shot 64 in the final round at Riviera. But was there something in that approach on 18, Peter, and in that put on the first uh, playoff hole, that suggests that this is in his head now, this not being able to get over the finish line. Very much so. Nerves, absolute nerves. For some of the shots that he hit coming in, you know, they were really, really good shots. They were good wedge shots. They were good nine irons. And then he hits this horrible, just, uh, I don't know whether he tried to hit it too hard on 18, uh, you know, with his, with his second shot. But like, I don't know you guys, but, and I, I stood there, or I sat there watching the TV, and I thought, God, it, you know, going to Riviera, you you watch so many other players hitting kind of long irons into that 18th, 
um, you know, having to try and fade it around the trees up the right hand side because they got too close to the trees. Now they're hitting sand wedges into it. I know it's and incredible, isn't it? It just it's like it's it just proves the point that there is a problem with length on the golf courses. Mm. That's number one. But number two, that like you said, the, being able to get over the line is is so important, and just to have that extra something inside of you that can deal with the pressure. I mean, what are we at in terms of finishes then? So is it 10 runner-up spots, 20 top fives? Is that where we are with Tony Finau at this stage? And it is Podrick Harrington-esque in that Harrington went through that long run, not that dissimilar in terms of statistics of runners-up. And there were questions about whether he had that killer instinct. And then he went on that run. When you look at Finau and the level he's getting to, it's hard not to see how at some stage the dam doesn't burst and that he makes the breakthrough and he has that spell that so many golfers have of 18 months where he goes and wins a few majors. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that what you're saying? A few majors? Absolutely. I think Tony Finau, you cannot, is within the top five players in the game right now with the consistency that he's showing. He is either being unfortunate, which I think the last couple of weeks have probably suggested not because you look at the way he played the final couple of holes in the Middle East where he just thought he needed to take a few risks because, listen, we know he has all the money in the world at this stage. But I think the level he is at, it is going to happen and that he's going to get himself some big tournaments very, very soon. I'm not looking at Tony Finau on Sunday night at Riviera thinking this is never going to happen for him. He may need that... you thought he was going to get that moment when like Max Holman misses that putt, which is a, as we discussed with Troy Merritt, it's a 99 percenter. Yeah, it is. The way you thought he might win it almost happened where he's gifted it, where Holman misses that putt to let him into the playoff and then finds himself with what initially looks like the worst possible lie. Obviously, he's able to wrap the club face around it when it's up against the tree, but he still, to be able to shoot that score in the final round, there's no way he doesn't win a tournament soon. Oh, no, the no, one, sorry. I, go on, go ahead, Phil. No, I, I don't think say, he'll win majors. I, I think he'll win tournaments, no doubt. Like this is a you know, he's a fantastic player, and I think he'll be a multiple winner in the PGA tour, but I don't know. I've seen nothing that says to me that he has the what it takes, that ice that it takes to, to win a major. I just But was know. that not exactly and Peter, you'll remember, I'm sure, was that not exactly what was been said about Porter Carrington? It, it, it was, yes. Um, and, and what I would say about uh, Tony is that he, he's, it's a bit like Jim Furyk. He owns his own swing. Mm. Um, you, you don't teach people, you know, similar what he did. And, and, and the reason was, was because he practiced in a garage and that's why his swing initially came out. His backswing was so short. Um, but I've watched and I, I, I did watch and that's why I have this kind of affiliation with Tony Fenu is because having seen himself and his brother as kids coming to the, uh, the Swedish Open um, many, many years ago uh, and watching them hit balls over the range and being totally enthralled by this guy and, and, and thinking to myself, well, I'm going to watch these kids progress. Um, and, and okay, his brother didn't, but he did. Um, the one question I have about winning multiple majors is his putting and he he needs he, he has been through I don't know how many different styles of putting 
Um, he he's focusing on one at the moment where it's it's very short in the backswing and and it, it it's quite a you know an extended follow through. Um, Jim Furyk, uh, as I explained, he, you know owning your own swing, he was a very very good putter, and to win multiple majors, I think you need to be a very very good putter. Tony puts himself in a position probably better than most leaving himself, you know what I mean, putts for birdies. And we we probably look too much on his putting. But to get under the cosh and, you know, play your final nine holes of a major, you've got to hold putts. And that is my one thing about Tony is is, is his putting. Um, and, and whether that will improve by not putting himself under so much pressure to win a tournament, as you say, the floodgates might open and he might go on and, and that pressure comes off him. Um, but I just, uh, it, it's the one question mark I have about him. Uh, mm. Every other part of the game he has, uh, I don't worry about his swing changing from week to week because it's so handsy and it's so controlled down the bottom of it. Um, you know, that part will last forever. Um, I don't think he'll go through swing changes like most other golfers have gone through. He looks, doesn't he? He's such a big lad. When he's holding, say, a short iron in his hand, it looks like he's playing with children's clubs. <laughs> like they're hilarious. They just—it's mm. like these big paws that just feather the and just—it's. I think he's gorgeous to watch. Um, Peter, when you saw him in in Sweden, then we're probably talking eight nine years ago. Would it be at this stage? Oh, more. Uh, I was right. trying to look back. Um, I think it was. Um, was it O two maybe? Or, or or even yeah no sorry oh three two thousand and three it would have been like fourteen yeah right yeah. okay I These thought he was came over so no, he wasn't playing he, he he got an invite to play in right. the turn in the tournament I think as wow. amateurs I think they played us and at that stage when he's blowing your minds off the tee and the range did you get to see him putting at that stage was that something no, you I could identify see. as an issue. Right. No, I did. As a kid, you're always a good putter. Tell me, tell me a 14 year old who's not a good putter. You know. When when does it start to disintegrate? <laughs> when pressure comes on, unfortunately, <laughs> and you start thinking about it. So Joe's uh, had a Tom Watson, and his internet has <laughs> collapsed once again. Thankfully, it's only uh, Joe we've lost this time, and not Tom Watson <laughs> as well. Uh, Max Toma, we touched on this with Troy Maris. Joe's back. Damn it, he heard us. <laughs> you Tom Watson does, Joe. Typical, typical. My Wi-Fi only seems to go during Golf Weekly. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. We believe you. I won't ask I'm you who your, uh, your Wi-Fi provider is, Joe. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm hotspotting now. So if, if it's terrible, shout and I'll disappear. But if it's okay, I'll keep going. So Tony Finau, what have you got for us, Joe? Tony Finau, are you still on Tony Finau? <laughs> Peter's been telling us uh, about watching him as a 14-year-old in Sweden. And there goes Joe. Yeah. Frozen. No, he blinked. He blinked. No, I'm still here. I just thought... Oh. Like, sorry. <laughs> no, you missed the story. It was a great story. It was a okay. great uh, Peter story. Uh, Max Homa's bloody impressive, isn't he? Yeah. My main take oh, on Homa... Because... Do, 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 do you know what? That, that put he missed in 18... That is my worst nightmare as a golfer. I, oh. I just I just hate those three, four footers that have break in them. I will either uh, allow for the break and hit the ball too hard or I will 
not allow for the break and hit it with enough speed so that the break happens. They're just miserable. I actually felt a bit sorry for him, I have to say. I mean, it was yeah. a bad putt, but there was when there's break in it, they are tricky with pace. Was he Can too I casual? Tell you what happened? Go on. He healed it. Yeah. yeah. And 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 coming off the heel, the putt, the putt nearly starts straight. And hence it had a tiny bit of spin on the knee horseshoe out. But if you have those putts, everybody try and hit them off a little bit to the the other side of the sweet spot. Mm. If, if they come off the heel, you're dead. If they come off the toe, you have a good chance. Wow. So good tip. Yeah, it is a good tip. Uh, putting yeah, less became free golf weekly listeners. Try and get them off the toe. Did you guys talk Rory? Are you done with uh, no, Palmer? No, we haven't talked Rory. Are we yes. done with Riviera? There was a, there was, was there anything else out of Riviera? I just there thought was it, was, a... it was bloody good, wasn't oh. it? Like that type of golf course, really fast, slopey greens. It's Augusta-esque. That is the golf I want to watch. Well, as I said to our good friend, Troy Merritt, um, on uh, Monday, it's, uh, it's the first time... Now, obviously, we watch Riviera every year. I look forward to Joe waxing lyrical about Hogan's Alley and mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart's tree and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it always kind of leaves you... Not cold. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But without the fans, it looked unbelievable. Even though the weather was shite, like for all the days bar Sunday, it still looked amazing. And maybe the, the way they use the drone shots or and, and just... Everything about it looked so beautiful. And that's yeah. a, where you're like, I want to play that course. I yeah. want I want to go play that course. You know, um, Malcolm Gladwell, be damned. I was the same. <laughs> I, I, I thought more of Riviera this year for some reason than at any other previous year. Mm, me too. Yeah. Um, can I just make a, a little tip of the hat to one Patrick Cantley, who has been like, like even though he didn't win or anything like that, but he's been amazing. Patrick Cantley is he could could he be like he could be a contender for a big win this year? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Though if, is, if if Jordan Spieth had fallen away on the final day the way Patrick Cantley did, we'd be hammering him. Patrick Cantley is close to 0.5 strokes gained in every category since the beginning of the year. Every category. So. He's just playing consistent, brilliant golf. And yes, I know he fell away. Yes. But having said all of that, uh, mind you, Jordan Spieth is one of only 11 players who is gaining 2.0 or more strokes per round this year. So his rate of improvement is just accelerating nicely in the right direction. So back. He is so back, Peter, (laughs) Laurie. Yeah, he's back. Oh, our live watch along for the final round of the Masters oh, is if Jordan Spieth is in contention. Peter's just, Wi-Fi will be just flicking off. Yeah, you know, lads, be- I, I, I'll give you this, okay? He has sorted out, or seemed to have sorted out, his short putting misses, okay? And that's very important to Jordan Spieth. Um, he, his iron play is as good as it has been. His short game is as good as it has been. Um. I still think to get back on the road of being a winner, he has to drive the ball better. Sure. He has to figure out how to get the ball on the fairway more often. Because when he goes to golf courses like he did in Riviera and missing it on the wrong sides, you're dead. Um, 
Now, he might get away with it in the Masters while, you know, in Augusta, the fairways are a little bit bigger. There's very little rough, etc., etc. He knows the golf course very well. He's very comfortable there. But put him on a difficult golf course, you know, an open venue or so, something like that, he will struggle uh, until he gets his driver sorted. Uh, but Peter, can I refer you to, again, to the boy Troy? Um who wasn't he telling a story the other day about playing against or with Spieth years ago when they were both or when Spieth was a young guy and like he made like 16 fairways or whatever it was, 14 fairways and still shot like one under Jordan Spieth played, made four fairways and shot six under or whatever it was the score. Mm -hmm. So isn't that just a characteristic of Spieth's game anyway, that this is a guy who, who goes a little bit wild anyway, but has just genius in his hands to get himself out of trouble. I'd agree with you, but golf courses, uh, golf court ar architecture and setup has changed so much that it, it, it kills the guys who are, who are missing uh, in the wrong spot. And okay, because he's yeah, because he's not a Bryson DeChambeau hitting it and leaving himself wedged to every green, um, he he just can't get the ball on the green. Mm. So, you know, yeah. on, on, on a soft golf course, he'll be fine. He'll get the well, ball on the green and and make a few putts. But well, I want to talk Bryson, but we should talk Rory. I have never seen Rory look so defeated in an interview as I did this week at. Mm. Uh, I had a, a, is it the concession? As in, I know it's Nicholas yeah. and Tony Jacklin. Do they call the, the course concession. the concession? Okay, very good. I see what they've done there. Yeah. Um, so McElroy usually really talks himself up before all events. You know, majors, even when he's not in good form, I come away from his press conference thinking, my God, you know, this is uh, looking good. And I saw him uh, this week, uh, and, and I'll get into what he said in a second, but like the conclusion was not, oh, maybe I'll find something this week. He is now talking about the next couple of weeks and beyond. Like he, he gave no indication he expects to do anything this week, uh, which is really unlike him, you know? And he, he was on the cusp of saying, you know, at the end of this interview, I don't have quotes from that particular interview of a different one, but he was about to say, yeah, look, I'll see what I can find this week. But then he, he almost stopped himself and talked about, it's gonna be a period of time, you know? And suddenly Augusta starts looming in your head. But what he did say in a separate interview was of his uh, missed cut at Riffiera, which is um, after 31 make, made cuts, which is a decent run. Uh, this is going to sound really weird. Uh, I worked so hard the week before Riviera in that week off, but I was unprepared to play. Uh, basically, he didn't practice any of his chipping or his putting, any of the scoring clubs. And so that's why he felt unprepared uh, to play. But what he is saying about his swing is, and I guess, Peter, this will be more towards you than the rest of us. He's getting the club too far behind him on the takeaway. And then it's across the line at the top. And then he said, instead of having the club back in front of him on the downswing, he's too steep and it's resulting in pulls or spinny cuts. He said, it's just a very different pattern to what I'm used to. I'm always fighting it. I'm trying to see shots that are going against my natural way of playing. So sort of stuck between that at the minute. He said, I worked really hard on stuff in the week off. I have these weeks where I want to work on some things, fix things. So I'm trying to cram everything into the space of a week when it's probably something that should take at least two or three months to iron out. So I went to Riviera after feeling like I'd worked hard, but was completely unprepared because I'd neglected all other aspects of the game. He is uh, finding himself spending five to 10 seconds longer over the ball than normal. He said, you can't play golf like that. And he shot a 73, 76. Now, I, I, that's, I was that's really not good. surprised. That's yeah, good. I was really surprised to read this, Joe, um, because from an outsider looking in, he, he looks like he's taking the club away on the outside. 
You know what I mean? So it's away from his body and then he reroutes it. Um, and maybe that's what he's talking about, getting the club stuck on the inside. Is he but, doing that in rehearsals or even in a swing? No, even in a swing. Um, well, he feels he's uh, taking it too, ba- too far back on the inside. Yeah, th- 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 that, that's what that's I mean. That's your surprise, it, it, okay. That's why I'm surprised, because it looks totally the other way. He looks like he's taking it on the outside and dropping it. Well, while I'd love to see him take it a little bit more back on the inside and be not so much droppy. But that's from the outside looking in. And, 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 and unfortunately, we as, we as golfers, we, we see things differently to, you know, we, we kind of, it, sometimes it's very hard to articulate what we feel in our golf swing mm. um, to somebody who's looking at it. So what you might feel mightn't be actually what you're doing. Because what you've described is what he said his usual issue is, as in he gets it stuck on the inside on the downswing. Yes. But he doesn't, he doesn't feel that's the issue now. He said, like, usually he's fighting that, but he feels like he's fighting something quite different to his usual now. But, uh, but on the visuals, you're saying it's more of his old issue. Correct, yeah. Very mm. much so. I, I think he's taking the club way too much on the outside. Well, the bottom line yeah, is... Away from his body. He's caught up now in not a good... Everything you just said there, all of that gives me the heebie-jeebies ahead of Augusta. Because he's, he's going to have to keep on working on this and that will mean more neglect of the putting and the wedges. And he's playing a lot of golf. Like, he's playing a lot of tournaments. He's 183rd in total putting. He's 114th in strokes gained putting. Like, he still needs to keep working on that stuff as he will know himself, clearly. But you know yourself, when your long game's not off and you get stuck into the weeds of that, that takes up all your time. I, I don't know whether he's trying the... Poor Carrington attitude, though, on it, whether he comes out and he says, I'm playing crap, I'm playing crap, and I finish second, or, <laughs> or I win. Um, and and I, I don't know. I, I, I told you this story before. I, I played with Porik in practice, two practice rounds at the Olympic Club at the US Open, and I, I have never seen somebody hit it off the planet as much as he did, ever, you know, in a practice round. And it never bothered him in the slightest. And he was asked about how he was playing. I'm playing crap. And he finished the second. And that's he has D- a great chance that, That's to his win. DNA, though. That's how he it, played it, golf it, as an amateur. Absolutely. Yes. But I wonder, you know, we've heard Rory take different attitudes and different perspectives on things. I'm just wondering, is he trialing something new here? Mm. Um, while stating one thing and actually doing another. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Peter. That's when I was reading those comments was the first thing I thought. Is he looking to lower expectations for the next few weeks heading into the Masters? Now, <laughs> well, if you miss the cut, you'll do firstly, that. He, firstly, he <laughs> needs to follow that up now by playing terrible over the next few weeks to prove yeah. his points. Uh, and it would be completely out of character, as you say, Joe, with everything Rory has done before, where he's almost bigs himself up yeah. too much. When did these issues start for him? Because while... This was his first missed cut since 2019. It actually started the season quite consistently in terms of there was a lot of good golf there. All right, he didn't get the victories again, but there were rounds where actually everything was flowing quite nicely for him. So yeah. has this been an ongoing issue or is it something got, that's just cropped up in the last few weeks? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, with Rory, you're, you're kind of split on that because certainly the start of the year when Michael Bannon was out in the Middle East and he was, you know, had, had FaceTime with Bannon again and started quite well, you thought, okay, this is really promising. But then now I think about it, he did say even after one of his better finishes in the Middle East that he didn't feel he had, really had his game. He felt there was an inconsistency there. So I'm suspecting he hasn't really been happy all year. Hmm. 
the other thing just is that into silence. From, I, well, I just, I just wonder from oh, a, my Wi-Fi had gone again. Like he is. Listen, if there's, <laughs> if there's a, if there's a massive technical issue that he can figure out, obviously it reduces the chance of him winning the Masters. But if he has a distraction himself, that's not means he's not thinking about winning the Masters in the build-up to the Masters. Maybe it ends up being a positive. Oh the, my God, the, he's going the, to win the Masters. That's going to be our conclusion, no matter what. God. Lads, there's nothing technically wrong with Rory McIlroy's swing at all. He he is the most imbalanced golf swing out there. Um, it's something minute that's in a feeling that he has probably on a, on a downswing or, or or backswing. But it, it, I could show you pictures of Rory swinging it perfectly, and I could show you pictures of Rory him thinking he's swinging it terrible. And to the naked eye, you, you won't see a difference. But isn't it so. isn't it striking though, Peter? That he's talking in terms of months. He was saying it's probably something that should take two or three months to iron out. And he's almost trying to short circuit that and spent all of the week in advance Riviera trying to sort it out to the neglect of his chipping and his putting. So, I mean, it's not nothing either, you know, it, it, like it, it might it might all look fine, but he I, I, it goes against the way he's been for years now to be that down about it and to be talking in terms of months as opposed to oh, I could find something you know in a swing here or there and I'll be good to go golfers are a fickle bunch um, uh, and let's go back to Woods saying you know I'm done that's it it's about a quality of life with my back surgery and put that on to Rory stating you know uh, this is going to take me months to sort out even though the masses is just around the corner my most important tournament that I you know that I want to win and um, literally a half an hour probably could get him back onto a situation where I'm, I'm, I'm away. I'm, I'm swinging the club. Well, again, I feel great and we're off and running. So but he, I wouldn't I mean, okay. read too much into it. Yeah. No, look, maybe, maybe, but you're saying half an hour. He literally went to town on this all week in advance Riviera and didn't find the answer. I know, but we can. I, I went to town for a full year on, on, on trying to sort out, if not two years, trying to sort out my driver. And I'm not comparing myself to Rory McIlroy. Please don't even think I am. But I'm just saying, you, you know, you go down a rabbit hole and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you stay down there when somebody, as you said, could fix it, or I'm saying could fix it, or a feeling can fix it in a, in a matter of seconds, never mind half an hour, yeah. and you're back and running again. You but know. that's my worry. I, 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 the way he's talking, I feel like he's having to look over at that rabbit hole and saying, "Will I have a look down there?" I, yeah, I think it's more talk than actual. Uh, okay. um... How do you know? How do you know it's going to take two, three months to fix? I don't know. Maybe he's gone through it before. Maybe he's a sense of the change he needs to make to stop having that pattern happen, and he and he figures that's a two, three month thing via experience. It's a good question. It's a good question. I'd like to know how long it'll take to fix my game. I'm guessing two to three <laughs> decades, but yeah, I don't know. He'll win this week. <laughs> Fiona, are you worried or do you think it's just talk? No, I don't think he's going to win the Masters. That's just whether he's playing well or not. I just don't think he's going to win the Masters. I think two reasons. One, he's not a good enough putter. And two, there's way too many other great players who are going to put it up to him. And even though, you know, he's not got the worst record, tied fifth a couple of times. Uh, tied fourth is his best finish 2015 you know it's not a it's not a it's not a it's a creditable showing but I just yeah I don't see it and uh, yeah Patrick Cantley okay I'm the the, the complete opposite of you Fionn where 
I don't really care about any of this stuff that's happening with McElroy right now. I don't think it makes a blind bit of difference to whether he's going to win the Masters or not because he's done everything. He's had every possible preparation you can have going into the Masters. It's all about just on the week that he has to oh, yeah, somehow. No, you're right. You're right. Deliver. Of course, let's you're right. look at. Let, let's have a quick discussion about Justin Thomas, who's playing dreadful golf at the moment. Yeah. And you know he he'll turn it around in a matter of uh, probably you know hours, and all of a sudden he'll come back onto the what uh, west coast of America, isn't it? And and which is on this week. And, east. You know, east coast. Sorry, and content. So uh, there I am. Is his thing more map a of the world in the background than a technical? Because he obviously had the issue around his comments. His grandfather, who by all accounts was a huge influence in his life, passed away. So is it is it just more the weight of the world on his shoulders right now than something technical going going on for Thomas? I don't know, to be honest with you, Nathan. He he wasn't playing great. No, even he before wasn't. that was he not? He was on struggling. Thomas. Uh, just very briefly, he was obviously in a press conference on Tuesday evening that seemed to start just after the Tiger news broke, but they decided, hey, let's rock on regardless, and ends up in tears at the press conference because of what's happened, Tiger. But on they rolled, and uh, tell us about the greens here <laughs> at this course. So, Tiger, <laughs> this is bad, but hey, what about yeah. the greens? I, I, press I, I'm going to find this thing. Oh, my God. Press uh, people don't give Because I was, I was in the middle of watching it. Uh, we love uh, media people. Uh, I'm having to apologize to them all right now after um, my email yeah, on Monday. Uh, <laughs> they did. I was I was in the middle of watching it all back, and suddenly it disappeared forever. They decided actually maybe we'd just uh, remove the evidence Thank of you, Justin Thomas press conference. Yeah, uh, he hasn't been playing well, and uh, he's only Colin Marikawa is playing worse of the top guys um, at the moment. And yeah, sure. I mean, all these off course distractions, whether it's you know, getting penalized, the Ralph Lauren stuff, and obviously the death of his grandfather, which as you say, Joe, I mean, he is close to his family. Um, but uh, yeah, he's not playing well. But, you know, he, he's an amazing golfer and he can turn it around in the space of a week. For so, sure. You know. uh, can I mention Bryson? So they're at the concession, which is a new oh. course and a lot of them. Not Bryson. He won the NCAA championship here in 2015. Just to uh, flag, if you're thinking Bryson is looking a bit lighter out there, He's dropped from 240 pounds to 230 pounds. Uh, to do that, he has cut down the number of protein shakes he's having each day. Uh, so he's, <laughs> he's uh, gone for smaller portion sizes for his meals as well. Who knew? Uh, so the interesting thing about Bryson, though, is we talked about him a lot last year. <laughs> what are you talking about? We, he, he is interesting. <laughs> we talked about him a lot last year. It culminated in the US Open. And we all thought, my God. The takeover is here. So since then, uh, DeChambeau has only played in five tournaments since then, since then including the Masters, the ill-fated uh, Masters. He missed the cut at Riviera. And he finds this very unsettling because I'm swinging really well. The ball is not doing what it's supposed to do. So, I mean, <laughs> like if, if Rory is like glancing at the rabbit hole 40 yards away, I mean, DeChambeau has been down at a long time. So he is saying now that because of the swing speed, 135 miles per hour, the physics, he says, aren't understood at that speed yet. So a miss hit off the tee can have two totally different reactions. I was swinging really well. The ball's not doing what it's supposed to do. We don't know why that is. And that's the sort of stuff I'm trying to figure out now. We're slowly inching to solving the problem, but it won't be for a while. That's where Bryson is right now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
He could, he could, he could prove, he could make a fool out of me easily, I guess. But all of that is just, who cares? Like, what? It's like, like he, he's a, obviously he's, you know, he's a preternaturally talented golfer that goes without saying. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The technology this, can't keep up with his muscles is kind of what he's saying. Oh, that's what I mean. It's that's like, what he's saying. He's an eccentric, he's an eccentric dude and fine. And that's great. And um, yeah, but I have to say it all leaves me absolutely stone cold. All of that. I find none of it interesting. He's probably talking about um, the shaft manufacturers base. They're probably manufacturing around a certain swing speed that has made from Iron Byron. Iron Byron is the mechanical golf swing that we all know and see and, and have seen a, I thought you were um, going to say no and love <laughs> yeah no but say uh, uh, well he is trying different shafts Peter so you're on to something yeah but now. Iron Byron probably has never gone at that speed or they've never pushed it to that speed yeah and hence they probably don't know so they're they're kind of searching in the dark a little bit I think or, it's interesting yeah yeah it's interesting because there was a conversation I don't think we bought into it that six months ago this guy was going to destroy the world of golf was going to dominate the professional game and force every aspect of the game to rethink how it's played. Yeah. Where actually he was just in a hot run of form, maybe with the confidence that he had in himself from all the changes he had made. And it's starting to wear off a little bit. And mm. if you're explaining, you're losing. And he's doing a lot of explaining right now. And he's doing a lot of losing right now. <laughs> well, the concession. The honeymoon is, phase is over. Yeah, it is. It's so true. It is the honeymoon phase where you feel so confident. The concession, by all accounts, is really tough. And tough off the tee as well. It takes a lot of good shots off the tee. So it should be a good tournament. Can I, I guess time's coming against us. Rudy Giuliani, Michelle Wee, Steve Bannon. That intersection was amazing. So uh, look, Michelle Wee, we all know. uh, Prodigy, uh, US Open winner at Pinehurst, four-time LPGA uh, winner, degree at Stanford, a new mother as well, well well-adjusted person, very impressive person, got dragged into this shit show. I mean, this is just... uh, Awful. So Steve Bannon was paying tribute to Rush Limbaugh on the War Room podcast. I can't say I've ever listened to the War Room podcast. Has anyone dipped in out of interest? Why would you? Just to see Honest what they're to up Christ. to. To see what they're up to. Yeah, cool. Uh, I, do you know what I haven't yeah. been to? I haven't been to my local chapter of the uh, British Nazi party in a while. So yeah. I haven't really checked in with those guys. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Jesus. Look, everyone's entitled to their opinions. Yes, yeah. they are. Wow. Um, well, I haven't just, did. I was, but this, just, this was the equivalent, Fiona, of you walking into the British Nazi party, saying something, <laughs> and them all turning around and going, ooh, that's... that's <laughs> that is much. the thing. So they're paying tribute to Rush Limbaugh, if you haven't seen this, and Giuliani's on. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're at the end of the interview. And what's great about this when you watch the clip is to focus solely on the body language of Steve Bannon and his sidekick. So uh, Giuliani, media performer, they're all in good spirits at this stage. And Giuliani goes, hey, have you time for a funny story? Who doesn't, you know? And Bannon says, yeah, we've got a minute. And so Giuliani starts. He doesn't even mention golf. He tells the story so badly. He starts off by saying, we're driving. Uh, and he's, we're driving because he wanted to smoke a cigar. And the paparazzi are driving us crazy. And I had these, this image of them on a highway somewhere in paparazzi, like chasing down the lads in the car. But he's talking about being in a golf cart which is not clear the way he tells it. He also calls uh, Rush Limbaugh Roger at one stage. Is that his mm. nickname? He's uh, confusing him with Roger Ailes. That's what I thought. Yeah, Roger Stone. Yeah. Or Roger Stone, so, yeah. Who, so many, so many. It, ter- it turns out Rudy's talking about the 2014 program, Ernie Ailes Autism Program. 
So he says, now Michelle Wee is gorgeous. She's six foot tall and she has a strange pudding stance. She bends all the way over and her panties show, end quote. Now at this stage, Steve Bannon's eyes dart to the left. So I think he's looking at a producer and then he looks down and then he clears his throat. And the sidekick who was all smiles suddenly stops smiling. And then the punchline of this is Giuliani says, I say, Roger, it's not you, the paparazzi. It's not me. It's her panties. No laughter from anyone. Even Giuliani, the most tone deaf person potentially in the world says, is that okay to tell that story? (laughs) (laughs) That's something like I'd say, isn't it? No, it's not. It really. Which Bannon says, "Uh, well, uh, you've told it. So (laughs) you've told it now. So. So, so Michelle, <laughs> Michelle, Michelle Wee, and this is where oh, like it's, it's, it's just terrific. She doesn't even name this fool, but she says, what this person should have remembered from that day was the fact I shot a 64. I beat every male golfer in the field and led our team to victory. And here's where you have to feel sorry for. I shudder. And that's the word that jumps out. I shudder thinking that he was smiling to my face, complimenting me on my game while objectifying me and referencing my panties behind my back all day. And she says, my pudding stand six years ago improved my pudding. I won the US Open that year. It was not an invitation to look at my skirt. And she added as well that Nike made golf skirts with built-in shorts, which means yes. Rudy was not actually uh, at any point looking at her underwear, nor the uh, paparazzi. But I mean, it was just, it was the whole thing's just a weird episode. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of rules of thumb to follow. A 70 plus year old man should never refer to a woman's panties, just, just as a rule. That's pretty good. Um, second of all, he's a creepy bastard, um, Rudy. He just is. He's a creepy, creepy man. Oh, how he ended up friends um, with Trump. <laughs> here's the thing. Do you know who he played in the four ball with in that one? Well, he played with Rush Limbaugh. It was himself and uh, um, the uh, second greatest golfer of all time, Jack Nicholas. Yep. At every and, turn, uh, Jack. At every turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and then a fourth who I don't recognize, which is quite funny because I saw it on Twitter. The picture came up on Twitter and they, the person who's like a journalist for, I don't know, some like established media organization named the three and then went some guy I don't recognize to which everyone went, uh, that's Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer of all time, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. But like Rudy, like having lived in New York, for 11 years of my life. So Rudy Giuliani is a kind of, has been a a perennial figure of the New York landscape, obviously as a prosecutor with the Southern District of New York back in the eighties, who did amazing work uh, prosecuting the mafia and all of its construction contracts. And interestingly, was also known for his really kind of down to earth attitude that even though he was like the boss, the chief prosecutor, he didn't lord it up over his staff. He would, you know, he loved kind of cheap lunches and was very much a man of his people. And uh, only afterwards, like after when he had his presidential run in 2008, remember he looked for the Republican nomination and it just mm-hmm. went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So he was the Amer- America's mayor at the time. You know, he, he had this amazing store of goodwill on the back of the reaction after 9-11 and the Republicans just didn't go near him with a barge pole. And so they went for um, McCain. Mc- yes, they went for McCain. And 
by all accounts, according to lots of articles I've read about him, that led him, like he, he kind of reassessed himself after. So he became kind of like, just got weirder and weirder. Ah, I was good. And, that, that's interesting. Because for my generation, I didn't know the prosecution story and going after the mafia and construction contracts and all that. But obviously I first encountered him as, you know, the symbolic hero of 9-11, mm, the show absolutely. of defiance, the uniting force. And I, so I, I look back on that now and think, did everyone then think he was a weirdo? No, so it's only subsequently to 08. Okay. It's after 08. And then like, for instance, is one of the things and I can't remember which book I was reading about the early days of the Trump presidency, but that Rudy had really wanted secretary of state. That was the job he really wanted. And, you know, and, and I know the Trump organization really valued his input and, and even though, interestingly enough, 20 years earlier, uh, Rudy wanted nothing to do with Trump. He and his assistant, and his assistant told the story, they were in a restaurant in New York and Trump happened to be at another table. And Rudy goes, oh, here, look down, because this guy, Donald, is going to insist on paying for my meal and I don't want him to. I just don't want that kind of sense that I owe him anything. And sure enough, Trump came over and he goes, hey, Rudy, how you doing? Don't worry, I've taken care of it. And Rudy's just like, ugh. But afterwards, when they became kind of friendly and it just, you know, it just didn't happen that way. So they made him, do you remember they made him digital technology advisor at first? That was the thing. He was going to take care of like the, on something to do with cybersecurity. That was, you know, it was all a bit whatever. But creepy old man, creepy, creepy, creepy guy. And that story just illustrates his overall creepiness. Mm. And, uh, and to be in the company, like Steve Bannon's a vile individual. Rush Limbaugh is one of the most disgusting human beings to have ever populated the American media landscape. No, this is, a, no, honest to God, lest it be forgotten. Here's the thing. During the AIDS epidemic, whenever there was a story of someone dying of AIDS, he would play that Dionne Warwick song, I'll never love like that again. Mm. Like, I mean, what level of what level of depravity do you mm. need to have to to relish a killer virus that is destroying people and to do it in such a kind of like vile insensitive manner i just find like and that's just one of the many things so mm. you know to hell with them all mm. yeah well i think it's their end of the politics lesson. I mean, well, I mean, we can't, we're kind of done now, aren't we? We're not going to go. <laughs> can, can, can I just say... What about that Anika swing Sarsden, plane, though, on Fino, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Anika guys. Sarsden, or Sarsden, is back this week. That's right. First time in, oh, what is it, 13 years? All oh. the greats. Wow. All the greats. So, so playing on the LPGA Tour? LPH, LPGA Tour. With yeah. a view to playing just a one-off event or she's going to give this little go for the next one? She's going to play the uh, US Open then after that. Yeah, wow. she's, she's, she's been trying yeah, to... US Seniors Women's Open. Okay, yeah. interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Meadow and Leona McGuire playing this week as well. That's First right, event yeah. of the year. Cool. Must check in with... Um, Stephanie's always really good on the show. And Shane Larry's playing, by the way, at the concession. Somebody was asking what's happened to his form. Yeah, he's down to 39th in the world now, Shane. So it'd be a good time to find a bit of form. He's going to base himself, Philip Reed was saying, in Florida for the next while as he builds up to the US Open. So we're going to see him stateside a bit more, Shane Larry. That is the plan. So let's hope he gets a bit of form. Fellas, I think we're done, are we? Sure. Okay. We will talk next week, everyone. Bye-bye. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 